listening to the One Gun Podcast. I'm your host, Paul G. Tonight, I think we're going to get into a little bit about Hurricane Sandy, Long Island, New York, New Jersey Coast, and stories of that level. So let's sit back and get a little listen to Imagine Dragon, and we'll get right into that as soon as we do. Sandy, as I said before, and that was back 2012, um, I believe it was October 29th, and Hurricane Sandy was a pretty good hit storm, uh, severely affected New York City, its suburbs, and Long Island. Sandy's impacts included flooding of New York City, subway systems, and suburban communities, and all of the road tunnels entering Manhattan except the Lincoln Tunnel. New York City Stock Exchange closed for two consecutive days. You know how bad a storm's got to be to shut down the New York Stock Exchange? I mean, the world's businesses run through that. So that's a pretty big deal. 
Um, numerous homes and businesses were destroyed by fires, including over 100 homes in Breezy Point, Queens. A large part of the city and surrounding areas lost electricity for several days. Several thousand people in Midwest Manhattan were evacuated for six days due to crane collapses at Extel 157 Bellevue Hospital Center. And a few other large hospitals were closed and evacuated, flooding 140 West Street. And another destruction of voice and devastation. Now, we didn't really do much work in the city itself. I, I stopped over in New Jersey, and then I headed on into New York, Long Island, New York. Um, they stayed just up in the Sunken Meadows State Park. And they had these big catering tents out there with about a hundred army cots in each one. So that was pretty well the sleeping conditions. And it was a little bit of rough. I've got a little clip here I'm going to play. There's some of the news clips coming into the storm whenever letting us know we were coming to it. Let's see what some of these clips had to say about it. Hurricane Sandy crashing on shore. Winds now at 90 miles per hour, and this storm is so big, so vast, 60 million Americans will feel its power. Tonight, our extreme weather team is all over the storm zone, ready to report. So let's go straight to ABC's meteorologist Ginger Z, who is right in the bullseye as the storm is hitting the shore now at Atlantic City, New Jersey. Ginger. We're essentially inside the storm, Diane. It is just to our south, and we're easily getting into some of the worst gusts, 60 to even 74 miles per hour, that threshold of hurricane force, one of the worst storms that has ever hit Atlantic City. This city is basically underwater. Water from the ocean, water from the bays, it is everywhere. This is the storm that we forecasted, and then some. It is chaos along the Jersey Shore. The superstorm battering the barrier islands. In the crosshairs, Atlantic City. The road into this seafront town is completely submerged. Damage started massive chunks of boardwalk littering the streets. Street after avenue after cul-de-sac inundated. So we just picked one, Blaine Street, and started knocking on doors made arrangements with our upstairs neighbors and the water starts coming up into our house to go ahead and go upstairs and we've got our kids we're just going to snuggle in a ball and hope for the best <laughs> once the surge peaks at high tide waves at the shore could grow to 20 feet out at sea up to 40 feet you got to take a look at this all the winds have picked up and this is what happens debris like pieces of the boardwalk have come for three blocks that's the ocean back there huge waves crashing up and over do you see that one Pushing ocean water, the storm is on top of us right now. And it's only going to get worse during the next high tide. So this is taking shelter, what you're seeing right now. That's what we're doing, if you can believe it or not, one of the safest and driest places. This will be a historic storm for so many, but the storm surge is still 90 minutes away from high tide here. We'll have many more pictures uh, throughout the broadcast, of course, but for now we'll head back to Diane. Okay, thank you, Ginger, and we'll be checking in with you throughout this one hour. So that was just as it first came in and hit into New Jersey. Like I said, I didn't really spend a lot of time in New Jersey when we got there. Atlantic City was pretty well underwater. Um, 
there really wasn't much we could do because predominantly most of their electricity is underground there so they pretty much sent us on up towards Long Island because by this point we we're coming in behind the storm so the devastation was just hitting so basically we were moving into Long Island as the storm was coming through um let's check out this other clip This week marks 10 years since Superstorm Sandy pummeled the tri-state area, scarring the coastline and the people who call it home. All week long, CBS News New York will revisit some of the areas hit hardest by the storm. And tonight, CBS 2's Carolyn Gossoff reconnects with some of the very same people she talked with a decade ago on Long Island to find out how they're doing now. The phone went dead, the street light went dead. And the next thing I know, it's like a Brian De Palma movie. I see water start coming up. I see cars starting to float. The destruction Superstorm Sandy unleashed on Long Beach was at first an otherworldly sight. The barrier island suddenly looked like a horror film. You won't believe your eyes. This is a street, a city of Long Beach Street, and it is filled with sand and cars buried in sand. A tidal surge submerged the city by the sea deluge from all directions. It was like a raging river coming from the ocean, coming from this way, this way. Burying streets in what seemed like a tsunami of sand. Oh my gosh. Flooding nearly every home and business. Wiping out power, heat, and sewer systems. It's like an episode of Twilight Zone. All of a sudden, it sounded like an explosion, and the dune came shooting down the street like a freight train. That was like the main event. Ten years later, John McCauley counts Sandy's surge as the indelible moment in his 83 years. You realize it could happen again. Every time you get hurricane warnings in the back of your head, you say who knows? The Macaulays spent a winter with no heat. Others spent years with no homes. But they rolled up their sleeves and got to work. Their spirit is incredible. I mean, not, nobody is saying they won't rebuild. Kevin McAdams, then... They can't go to work now. They have no cars. They have no food. It's like, you know, and they, and they have to leave their house. Where are they going to go? Brand new car. Brand new, 200 miles. Um, nobody's hurt, though. It's uh, all the matters, you know. And now, still touched by the help that also flooded Long Beach. Help you dig out your house, get your water heater, have you come in and eat a hot meal. Just amazing to see the real camaraderie of a community. But that spirit got choked by reams of red tape. We can't rely upon insurance. We can't rely upon the banks. We can't rely upon the government. Frustrating, heart-wrenching, depressing. It was such a struggle to get home. Rebuilding took three and a half years for the Corbett family, draining retirement savings, navigating grants and insurance. Maddening. You pay and you expect, you know, that, that these things are going to be there for you and not have to fight tooth and nail for what you've paid for. We're still paying the price. Much of the frustration aimed at New York Rising. We were born a year after the storm and then had to create this, this multi-billion dollar agency out of nothing 
It took <coughs> some time. And $6 billion to help rebuild 50,000 Long Island homes, thousands of them elevated. The Long Beach boardwalk was rebuilt to never buckle again. Shoreline, sewer, and power systems were hardened. John came in the face of the agency, says it got a crisis under control. The government didn't create the storm, but in fairness, we knew people were in distress. We had to learn as we went. Others learned that for all it destroyed, the storm had a silver lining. Businesses came back better. It really uh, brought the whole community together. And it stayed that way. Triumph out of tragedy. Stephen Shaw's house is now higher, safer. It was like a punch to your stomach where you, you were down on your knees. Get up, get up, and you have to do it. The Corbett's are battle-worn, but not bitter. Our kids saw the resilience that we had together, and that translated to them becoming resilient adults. Persevere, that's all you can say. Yeah, we got clobbered on October 29, 2012, but here we are today. Badly bruised, but never broken. In Long Beach, Long Island, Carolyn Gossoff, CBS 2 News. Now that clip was nearly a decade later, and they're literally still trying to pick up pieces of devastation in that area. Now, when it, the area that I was in was pretty ritzy little area um, it had a marina that wrapped around um, it was definitely one of the harder hit areas we got in the first two days and started working real good and then it it was just wild to see I mean there was houses literally lit, lifted the floodwaters got so high, literally, I seen houses that were removed from their foundations and floated on down away. Normally, a house doesn't break away from the foundation in a flood, usually just water damage. But I guess the massive waves and the strong winds that was coming through was just too much. It, it, a lot of houses were out of place where I was at. Um, And then as if that wasn't bad enough, nine short days later, while we're out there working, they're like we're making good progress, leeway, getting things back up and running smoothly. We catch another taste of something else. A nor'easter came through. And if you don't know what a nor'easter is, basically it's a snowy hurricane. It's high winds really cold frigid conditions real misery because as we were in the catering tent those short nine days later we got a rude awakening about three o'clock a.m. the whole catering tent in which about a hundred of us were sleeping in just blew away and let me tell you it was quite the adventure uh, but through all that, you know, we usually found a way to kill time and enjoy ourselves, so I think it was about the 11th night in, we decided we were going to go see the big city, because I personally had never been to New York, so me and I think it was about five of us piled into the Foreman's pickup truck, and we rolled into Long Island, New York, I mean, uh, New York City, sorry about that. And we went and visited Times Square. We had we probably spent about two hours out there. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, they had the little 
ball that bounces through the crowd and you're looking on the TV screens to watch the ball you can actually physically see the people touch it that was pretty cool and that was probably about the highlight of the trip was times seeing the nightlife of Times Square at night uh, as we were coming into the city we were coming past some restaurants and there's huge crude crowds of people lined up and uh, Al Pacino was coming out of one restaurant and people were just cheering left and right and it was wild to see I mean I learned real fast in New York though uh, even if you got the right to walk you better make sure there ain't no cars coming because them taxi cabs will run you the hell over quick and not think twice about it they come out of nowhere too let me tell you I made my left look I made my right look started to walk across and dang if he didn't come from my right before I ever made it to my left again <laughs> and we was hoping to run across that cash cab up there we never seen nothing like that come out uh, so we spent maybe three or four hours out there ended up grabbing a little bit of food from a McDonald's on the Times Square right there in the middle of it all headed back to go back to work and do it again uh, I think I spent about it was almost a month and a half that I spent in New York for Sandy it was a rough month and a half I tell you that though. Uh, it would have been nice to get a hotel room and a shower in a real bathroom but apparently you gotta be union to get the good accommodations around New York uh, we were non-union uh, they did offer us temporary union cards but for some reason or another our the owner of our company chose not to do the temporary union cards either um I'm not sure what details entailed to that. Uh, but if we would have knew that we had the option for one, I believe I would have vouched for a real hotel room. Because after about a month of that army cut, your your body starts telling you. Because not only you bust out 16-hour days, and then you come into that stiff... Uh, you wake up and you're stiff. There's just no way away from stiff. Stiff just becomes the part of your life sleeping on an army cot. I'll tell you that. I'm pretty sure I have no desire to ever sleep on another one after that adventure either. I'll just take my chances on the ground. <laughs> uh, But if I had to deal with tough times, I'll tell you one thing. I definitely couldn't have had a better group of guys surrounding me. Um, our crews were very much like family, for sure. Um, we interacted in and out of work together. Uh, boss man would have Christmas parties, and just us and the crews would go up with all of our families and get together. And that motto, you are your brother's keeper, really does ring true. I mean, you you get to a point where you're spending more time with these guys than you are your at-home family. So we really consider each other work family because if you're out on storm trip with us, 
the faces you're going to wake up to every morning. Uh, they're going to be the guys to make sure you come home safe, uh, watching you back, taking care of you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you fall into hard times, there's always somebody there to pick you up. If you just can't handle the task on your own, there's always somebody there to back you up and give the pushing hand. And nine times out of ten, the other crew's going to come over there and do the same. Um, again, it was a wonderful group of guys that I had out there. Shout out Bobby Thompson. Uh, love you to death, man. He, he really took care of me a lot. He taught me a lot. He was a great mentor. Uh, really enjoyed working with him. He, he always showed me to do it right the first time. Never, because there's not always a second chance. And 50% of the time, you don't have a second chance dealing with 19.9 and vultures of that sort. Because once it reaches its full potential, it's either going to hold or blow. So you want to definitely check, double check, and just for the heck of it, give it a third check. It never hurts to be too safe. Uh, safety is a big part and key in it. <coughs> your PPE is the second. Well, actually, your PPE is your first line of defense. So that's the main priority of what you got. If you have a single pinhole in your glove, that electricity is going to bite you. And I say bite because it's not a simple sting or a simple little tingle, as people say. It it lets you know it's grabbed a hold of you, and that's for sure. Um... I only had the mistake of having a hole in my glove one time. And from that point forward, I got to the point where if that glove came off my hand before it went back on, it was I would put air in it and make sure that it held air, no, no leaks whatsoever. Because all you've got between you and that electricity is that rubber glove. And that rubber glove is your best friend. Now, I tell you, they're, dip, they're thick, and it is very difficult to grab your materials and put materials together. Um, if you want to see what it's like, go get you a set of oven mitts, and go get you a little bolt and a nut, and try to put that nut on that bolt wearing those oven mitts like you would with your normal hands. And I believe you'd see pretty close to the severity of trying to work with these things. So, after you get started with the rubber gloves, then you've got, if you're on the ground, you have overshoes. And these overshoes are big Bozo the Clown looking shoes that slip on over top of your boots or shoes, whatever you're wearing. Because most shoes are not dielectric so if you were to come in contact with a hole in your glove then it would prevent the electricity from going to ground through your feet because electricity first thing it looks for is ground 
So you want to make 100% sure that you have no possible way of being grounded before you ever dive into that kind of voltage. Um, and electricity cooks you from the inside out, so it's not something to play with or be taken lightly at all. Always, always wear your PPE if you're dealing with electricity. It doesn't matter if it's residential 110 volt, 240 volt. Always be safe. And if you wear work boots, nine times out of ten, you wear in steel toes. It's not going to cost any extra money. Usually they're around the same price. Pay attention and see if they got that dielectric on them because that can save you even doing regular maintenance around your house just keep that ground from happening on you it's not something to play with not something to be taken lightly you can't be scared of electricity but you definitely have to respect it 100% to its fullest and never take a shortcut and I've got a little song here uh, that I'm going to throw on here it always it comes from the movie Life on the Line, but I love this song. I think y'all like it too. It's uh, Fiona Cully and Darius Rucker. It's coming in off the golf. Worst of it around midnight. Gentlemen, it's going to get bad, but that's what we're trained for. You look after each other because you are your brother's keeper. Life ain't for the weak of heart And if I could, I'd change the hardest parts My dearest love, you'll be my shooting star Whenever you are, just know I'm not that far this letter to you, you know I'm not that far.
I'll tell you that Darius record boy, you can get any kind of music as I've said in previous episodes that's got to be one of my all time favorite singers he's definitely an all around singer um I guess I'm going to go ahead and start wrapping it up on that note uh I guess I'll leave you off with one simple motto you are your brother's keeper always watch out for each other because you always need somebody watching your back just like you need to always watch their back don't never stand alone thank y'all again for listening uh, the audio may have been a little bit glitchy here I gotta get it dialed in I'm dealing with some new equipment here and hopefully we just keep getting better as time goes by uh, again thank you for joining me my name is Paul G this was the One Gun Podcast also do me a favor and give a couple listens out there to some other great podcasters around the pod bean. we've got the outside of normal Russell Brown puts on a great overnight show he's the king of the bean right now and I want to give a shout out to Shep a shows up with some music shows every now and then the Shep Shack definitely give that a listen you got the Pulse out in Alaska you definitely want to give him a listen the not so normal newscast and you find everything that you can't find on mainstream media usually and it's straight to the truth unbiased and all the bullcrap removed you really should give him a listen give a shout out to the old man's podcast uh, every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And again, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the other side.